three. Well, how's it going, Lee International Baskets? <laughs> what? Don't you? How dare you? How dare you say that to me? I couldn't help it. I had to do it. It's all good. I'm good. How are you? You know, I'm just doing pretty well. You know, focusing on the local community that we impact here. Um, eh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, I'm good. I'm good. It's Friday, and um, we're back here again to just blabber away, and that's what I enjoy. Yeah, same here. Uh, actually, fun, fun, interesting. Uh, I don't know if you would call it antidote or, or antecedent or what do you call it? Like a story, an antidote? No. Uh, isn't it? Wait, yes. You know what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Why do you keep saying that? I know what you're saying. The thing. Um, <laughs> the, the thing. <laughs> so. <laughs> Come on, Lee. Okay, antidote is yeah. what you, you would use for like counteract venom or poison. But you're saying not antidote. You're saying ang <laughs> I can't even say it now. I'm gonna pause real quick. So you were saying it's an antidote. No. What's it called? <laughs> you're saying it weird. Anecdote? Anecdote. Anecdote. Okay. So Antidote. Stop. <laughs> You're going to make me sound like that. Using the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> That's from uh, Mike Myers. Michael Myers. I love Michael Myers. Okay. So today at work, I was talking to my coworker, and he was telling me that he saw Jordan Peterson on um, Flagrant with uh, Andrew Schultz. The comedian. Mm -hmm. So, you know how people been talking about like Jordan Peterson, like he's just been on it, like in terms of his daily, seems like it's almost daily in terms of like his content and like the whole slew of comedians he's been talking to, like, you know, Schultz right and um, Theo Vaughn, Rogan, and all these guys. Like, it's just been such a breath of fresh air for me because to me, like, he discusses obviously right very like in in depth um he goes very in depth right but then you have like the comedic element to all this like to me it's just it's a breath breath of fresh air because it kind of um it kind of humanizes his intellect because com 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 comedians right like they're the jesters they're the jokers they're the they're playing the fools and they're highlighting the truth in a very important way so to me it's just been it's been really i think important and impactful for us to see these worlds merge you know at least that's how i've been thinking about it it's two worlds that you wouldn't necessarily pin together but when they co when they cooperate there's a lot of unison mm-hmm yeah, I agree. It makes a lot of sense to to pair these two worlds to, to bring them together and see what unfolds. 
you know, seeing what unfolds, seeing how how they interact, how they agree, how they disagree. Um, what do you call it? It's been interesting. I haven't totally dived into Peterson recently as far as his stance on Christianity. Uh, I know before he had all this with his sickness and illness, I know he he really spoke a lot about the differences between the, I guess, the Christian thoughts or the yeah. sex. Mm -hmm. um, he was really emphasizing a lot, like, you know, his angle or approach towards, towards life is personal responsibility. And that's something that speaks a lot to Christian orthodoxy where, you know, whereas uh, Protestant or the Catholic movements, they're more, they're more heavily relying on redemption of the, the Messiah, the savior, the aspect of, of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Whereas Christian orthodoxy is kind of more of a grab the bull by the horns approach where it's like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta accept, but you also have to be a, an active participant in how you live, what you do, what you say, what you participate in, in, in um, tradition. I know tradition is like the component. I mean, I know this is all like very surface level ideas, but the, the Christian Orthodox um, followers that I've spoken to, yeah, they're, they're very much, uh, they're very much about actualization of these ideas, these practices, these approaches of life versus the, I don't want to say over spiritual, but the more or less like the, the mysticism oh. within Christianity. Like that's something that they, they don't really gravitate towards. You know, they don't really, I've heard some some uh, leadership within the within orthodoxy, you know, wh where they clash with with uh, Protestant Christian Protestant Christians or Catholicism is that they don't view God as being so temperamental. Temperamental. Yeah, as far as like you know how, I mean, we see it a little bit more with. Um, more glimpses in the Old Testament as far as like he's a vengeful God or an angry mm. God or they their view is that the Protestants and the Catholics have a very uh, it's like almost like a very harsh view of God where it's like he he's not in their eyes God isn't a uh, an emotional child where he shifts from grace and vengeance, you know, fire and brimstone, like, just like that. Like, it's not as, as uh, turbulent, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's, like, ringing true as far as, you know, what, what you hear, what you see Peterson, what he's saying, 
his concept of, you know, of uh, personal responsibility, of coming face to face with the truth of yourself in the inner, inner man, right? The, the being aspect. Um, it's interesting. I, I can, I can appreciate different schools of thoughts just because I mean, yeah, it's a different application, but I can also appreciate like that's how they interpret, you know, certain things, certain aspects of the Bible, certain tenets, certain creeds, what have you. And it's almost like how do you call that? A little bit like the Eastern Orthodoxy. I guess, I mean, depending on who you ask, right? Christianity is is, is uh, Eastern. But they they're very um, very aggressive in their view too. Yeah, it's like no, like you really have to apply yourself to these creeds. Like there's a reason, like the whole idea of like separating yourself from your own society, culture, what have you. Like it has to be very definitive for them. Whereas like in the West, right with 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 the Catholicism, with Protestantism very much like we're very much a part of the culture and I mean I guess a good example would be like Jewish orthodoxy Mm -hmm. if you've ever observed anybody that's a follower of Jewish orthodoxy like they are very strict I think the only person that I can think of is like Ben Shapiro (laughs) (laughs) he's like the only person I can think of because I don't really know that many Jewish people that are okay. like practicing. Okay, I see. It's a little hard to try this out. I guess now with the pandemic, you, know, you might see a little bit of it. But if you have, have you ever been to the Grove in LA? The Grove in LA. Yeah, it's like a shopping mall, shopping center. I may have. Yes. Very well known. At the very end of it, if you if you go in, you know, through the the parking structure at the very end of the mall they have like a food district like um restaurants and food stands what have you but you're like driving towards it i believe i forget which freeway not the 10 because you're coming from the other side anyways you're going through a lot of jewish neighborhoods and what you'll see is a lot of oftentimes you'll see a lot of dads walking with the children because they don't drive on the sabbath Oh, yeah. Very interesting. Example of them practicing out of their, their, I don't want to say rules, but part of their strict codes. Yeah, it seems like, um, like they're embedded within their own culture, right? It's like in terms of like, um, is it, what is it? Uh, keep it holy or um, right to keep something holy is to keep it separate right uh, and I think of of how Jewish culture specifically especially like what you're mentioning like orthodoxy right and it seems like they live apart from what you would say is like secular society and in that regard it's it's in order for them to keep their their faith, their souls holy, apart, separate from, 
because otherwise they're going to become influenced by outside forces. And I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to like manage that, but if you can, it's, it seems like in, in line with that personal responsibility of keeping oneself um, accountable and, and understanding that, you know, every day we have to make our, our choices and they're not easy to make and, and, and every decision will have consequences. And so if we can do so in, in, in that context and that within that culture, right. And as it relates to like scriptural um, principles of like the 10 commandments and, and, you know, love thy neighbor as yourself, uh, you know, turn the other cheek and, go the extra mile and all these, I guess, as Peterson say, right, rules for life. It's a way in which we can operate on like a microcosm, microcosm with, within the broader, um, the broader um, level of like the society, right? Because society, like we're, we're playing, as Peterson would say, we're playing games, right? And we need to be able to play iterative games with each other. So when when orthodoxy, when Jewish orthodox or orthodox Jews are operating within a specific game, you know they're ab- abiding by those, um, yeah, like rules, I guess you could say. And it's and 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 in turn, like it's it's limiting themselves, right? It's a limitation to set those boundaries without those boundaries we won't essentially if you boil it down no right from wrong no good from evil right it's like it's like we especially now right there's there's the blurring of the lines there's no there's no way we can differentiate between truth and lies because there's just so much information and so how do we separate ourselves, right? With, with keeping ourselves, you know, especially with like Christianity, right? And when you go through the spiritual disciplines of like the Sabbath and um, what's it called when you don't eat? Fasting, meditation, um, prayer, like all the solitude, right? All these different things are a way to like separate and keep holy and limit and put boundaries so that you can live amongst the broader society right so we need to take we need to take ourselves away from what's happening around us and it's really hard personally because i always want to be nosy and see what's going on but that's what i see as relates to like the differences like you're saying right yeah i mean the whole idea within Christianity is to live in the world, but not be a part of the world. Right. So like that's what um, a lot of people criticize. A lot of Christian Christian circles. A lot of people criticize the Amish, right? Because the idea of like, wait a minute, you're separating yourself from the world, and you're stuck in you know 1870 or whatever <laughs> with technology and attire or what have you. The idea is like, wait, how are you 
what some people are going to, right, accuse them of, or, or question, right, rather, how are you going to be effective in your own community and affecting change in the world or really to evangelize, right? That's one aspect, evangelism. How are you going to do that if you guys are literally stuck in a bubble? Uh-huh. You guys are stuck, not just in a bubble, but you're stuck in a, in a decade from you know, almost 200 years ago, counting on, you know, going that way but uh yeah i mean there's a very delicate balance i was even thinking about like well let me just circle back real quick to the idea with, with jewish orthodoxy where it's like there's two ways to look at it right like it's it's a religion and then it's actually it's actually a group of people that, you know, historically don't have a place to call home. Right. I haven't had a place to call home for, for a while now. You know, they've been, they've been captive to, to different governments, to different empires, different, different groups. So for a Jewish person, someone who's a strict follower of Judaism, their their adherence to their orthodoxy is is what's holding their people from extinction or or, or keeping them back holding back that form of extinction whether you know I'm trying to remember the name of the groups now on top of my head but that's how a lot of groups have they've vanished throughout history because they intermix intermarried with other neighboring know people and that was it you know the culture one culture took over the other one language took over the other. one form of life took over another and that's why god was so strict with the children of israel back in the oh. old testament because it was like no like you are set apart you're different from the rest you're not going to be operating with the same with the same value system, you know, the same language, the same way of doing life, you know, I'm giving you my own insight, my own list of things that are important to the top 10, the top 10 list of things that is top 10. Yeah. God's top 10. Right. So that you will be blessed. You will, as and this is another like Jewish, Jewish uh, edict, I guess. With Spock, live long and prosper. With Leonard Nimoy, who was Jewish as well, yeah. mm-hmm. but he he derived that that saying. I believe I believe it was him. Maybe it was a writer that I'm not remembering. He derived that saying from from Jew from Judaism from those same commandments, those same edicts that God you know gave Moses that the prophets to instruct the children of Israel. So, I mean, and this is very like, very, uh, very obvious, right? As far as if we look in, into anthropology and how it's like, families are the core 
for civilization since forever. Families have been the cornerstone, right? The chief cornerstone of civilization, uh-huh. society since the beginning, you know, as far as you can go back, like that. Families are what keep people moving forward. So that's what allows people to, what Peterson would say, right? To be, to have a firm foundation, to have a firm footing on life and how we're going to do life and how we're going to go about it and purpose. That's another one too. But it's interesting how I guess you can't, how would you orient yourself without that central purpose that you share in common with those around you? Because if it's not in this village, then maybe I should move to this other village where, you know, I value, you know, car racing, auto racing. And so if I'm in the town or the village that doesn't care about that, then maybe I should move somewhere else. So, I mean, that's sadly that's what we're seeing in the u.s right that these value systems are shifting and people are not in agreement you know to where we're being told by our president that the constitution is in fact you know it's it's not it's not something that we can rely on because well we can change it we can change the meaning of this word or this amendment and how it's interpreted, how it's implied. That's the old, that's the old uh, criticism, right? That it's a living document, or application is a living document. So we can do whatever we want with what these words mean. And, and we can change the historical significance of like, well, that's what these rich white men were talking about when they wrote it in the 17, you know, yeah. 1700s. Yeah, it's out of date. It's out of fashion. There's the the U.S. no longer relies on, or it's no longer just for. It's no longer intended to to observe the, the rights and privileges of rich white men. Now it's we're including everybody, you know. So we're gonna change the significance of these meetings, and, it, and we're gonna force everyone to abide by that, whether they like it or not. At least, I mean, that's what I can, that's what I can gather. Once you change the Bill of Rights, once, you know, you, you remove one or you water it down to the point where it's gone, then whatever the U.S. was no longer exists. Now it's, you've created something new. I mean, and it's, and it's been a slow process. So it's not like this just happened, you know, within the last couple of years. No, like this is something that has been going down for know decades it's sad it's really um it's really hard to watch i think to see this happening it's funny because earlier I, th- I had a thought about i had two separate thoughts one was let's say we went from bad aka we went from trump to worse to biden you know it's like as as we kind of go through the prism of libertarian principles, like Trump did a terrible job within whatever limited time and capacity he had, right? And, and I, sometimes I have a hard time with like blaming presidents because I think about like Obama and I think about Bush and 
Bush Sr. and Clinton and now Biden, it's it's hard to know how much influence and, and power they have as it relates to change, but also we don't want them to have power and influence. Right. I mean at least not that much. If you if you were to examine, for example, if you were to examine uh, Bush Jr. and then followed by Obama and then followed by Trump. And you look at the rate that of uh, executive orders that have been increasing, like they've all like abused their power. Mm-hmm. They've set like each one after another is setting a different precedent to to how the executive branch, executive office, ought to operate. Again, this is not anything new. This has been happening for a while now, but I believe it was. I believe Bush, Obama, Trump, and Biden now. So four presidents in a row. I don't remember if it goes back to with Clinton, Bush Sr., Reagan, but the last four presidents, including Biden, have entered their first term with a majority in Congress of their party. Oh, no way. Yeah. So... We've, we've seen that that's why it's something like an executive order is a lot, they're a lot more lenient than an executive order because, well, it's my guy doing it. The guy on my team is the one doing it. So there's been a lot less resistance, a lot less challenging. But I believe with all four as well, the majority shifted after two years. It went back, it reverted back. It, it went to the other side. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's so odd that somehow or another we've been able to, you know, kind of kind of flip the switch back and forth. And it and it almost seems like we're just kind of accepting that fact in terms of like just you know, going for a team and, and expecting things to change, but you can look back twenty I don't know, 20 years, however many um, administrations you can look back towards, right? Four or five of them, I think in our lifetime at least, and see not much has changed as it relates to how government operates. If anything, it's gotten worse. So I guess that's a change, but it just doesn't seem like things are changing in a, in a way that's like beneficial to to its population, right? And you think about Biden's comment at, during his speech about like, we the people, as it relates to like the Declaration of Independence, right? Where it says, I think it's a, that, that's the document where it says we the people hold these truths or- Because we hold these truths to be self-evident. Um, I think that's what he was referring to when it says like, we the people. And, and his, like you were saying, his interpretation of that is we, the government, are the people. And just... Right, because that that's conducive of a representative government. Representative... Well, I think what he's saying, right, is is that we, the government, are the people and no, the right. people are, are us. Right, but what, right, what I'm saying is like, that's the, now it's the opposite with oh, that right. statement. Right. It's no longer a representative government, you know, a, a constitutional republic, which what it originally was or is, 
versus say what you see the shift right so it went from constitutional republic to now it's a democratic right it's a democratic government where you have elected officials and everybody gets to vote and now the voice of the people is being heard now that's turned into no the people don't get to say what they want to say <clears throat> first amendment uh, now yeah. it's a matter of well the government's going to let you know what you can say what you can do how you can act uh-huh. what to what to what you agree on or what you believe in and that's something that I don't know if I sent it to you or not, but that's something that R.C. Sproul touched on one of his more recent um, teachings, at least released by Legionnaire Ministries. Uh, He was talking about statism. He was speaking on a name of the preacher, but he was asking a preacher um, what what he was seeing, you know, going to be the next problem for for america or for the christian church in america and you know what was his biggest concern or biggest fear and he pointed towards statism mm-hmm. now now you know, it's come to fruition now right now the state is the one dictating our moral grounds you know our sense of morality of, of truth where R.C. Sproul is saying that what, what's instituted scripturally or biblically is that the church and the state have two very distinct functions within a society, right? Like the power of the sword be- would belong to, according to Paul, Romans 13, R.C. Sproul saying that Paul is saying the, the power of the sword, you know, to engage in or engaged in defense. That's some, that's a function of the government. The church has no business, should have should have no real interest in those matters. Right? But in terms of now we go to things like family, marriage, um, something like charity, right? Social causes social you know issues that primarily was a function of the church to address those issues you know we didn't have to go to the government let me know what's right and wrong let me tap into what my local you know mayor or my congressman my representative is saying Mm -hmm. that's not that's not at all how society functioned it was a matter of well, let's let's look at the scripture. Let's look at what the word is saying. What, the, what is the pastor teaching on today? And that's interesting. It's just interesting when you actually look into it and apply those same same ideas. Because now you know, with R.C. Sproul, he was saying, yeah, and, and you know, Jesus when he's talking about render unto Caesar what's what Caesar's faces on the coin. So. At some point, yeah, it's like you have a obligation to pay your taxes and to live peaceably with other men, right? With their neighbor. But then 
when those powers go unchecked, that's when you get a lot of problems, right? That's when you're going to face a lot of corruption, a lot of immorality, theft, and what? That was the story in the Old Testament with um, King Saul or King David, or was it prior to those kings? Because I remember, was it the people of Israel after the um, the 40 years in exile, they wanted a, a, a physical king as the other uh, tribes had or communities had because it's like, well, they have a king. Why can't we have a king? And then God explains that you're going to get taxed and your daughter's going to be taken. You're going to, you know, all, like all you're saying. Your sons are going to be drafted into war because mm-hmm. that's, what the, that's how the king wants it. You know, he, he got insulted by the, the neighbors to the north, or the neighbors to the south. And so now he's, you know, he's taking it personally. So now he's going to take away your sons to do his bidding and fight in a war, clash with different group of people. <laughs> you said um, that he took it personally. This is related to my second thought of the day from earlier today. I was thinking of Michael Jordan. And that person. Huh? He's like in the meme, he's like, I took that person. Yeah, so so I was thinking about how uh, this idea of like um, the US being um, systemically racist and you know there's all this white supremacy, right? <laughs> and I think of like someone should create a meme that has Jordan um, Michael Jordan in it. He says, like, I took that personally, and, like, he goes and, like, beats, I don't know, white supremacy or, like, systemic racism. I don't know. Yeah, like, one-on-one or something. I don't know, something. Like, he's, like, dunking on him, you know? Like, just... (laughs) America is systemically racist, and then you see Michael Jordan, and I took that personally. (laughs) Because, like, the way I was looking at it is, look at this successful Black man. He worked day in and day out. He didn't quit. He wasn't, he didn't accept no. He went out and did the work necessary to be a five-time champ. Six times. Six, sorry. My, my bad, Michael Jordan. Don't take that personally. Six times. With a three-peat, right? Two three-peats. Two, sorry. Again, don't take that personally, Jordan. Michael Jordan. <laughs> Two three-peats right along with his teammates who are also black majority of them right at the height of their game collaboratively teamwork all that good stuff the work and dedication except for maybe dennis rodman who just was a different guy who could go out and party the night before but that's a whole different thing and to hear the way that they want to in a sense like be little the black community when you can go look at Kobe and Michael Jordan and LeBron James and see that they went out and did the work to be successful now I hear I can hear a criticism of like maybe they are the exception and and not the rule right but it's like if you look across any domain whether it's sports politics um the judicial the judicial system judicial 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 with Clarence Thomas, you have Thomas Sowell in the intellectual academic side, you have Larry Elder, you have in the, in the 
hip hop and you know cultural influences of like Kanye and uh, Ice Cube and Snoop Dogg and Biggie Smalls and Tupac and um, you know you name it. You got all these influential people in different domains. Jazz is a different and and you know rock and roll, rock and roll, all the influences that. Blues. Jazz and blues and rock and roll that Af- that Black Americans have done to American culture have have influenced American culture in yeah. this way. Right, they've influenced the culture. It's like this all came from my thought of like, and Michael Jordan took that personally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I, right, you, you're doing well. For first of all, you're being dishonest, right, and saying that. You have this position where you hold people, you know, a certain group of people to be harmless or to be ineffective or to be, in a sense, subservient. Whereas, like, well, did I, sh- did I send you that Denzel Washington interview? Yeah. He was with a foreign journalist. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, well, how could, you know, how could you, and that, you know, how could you uh, say that, that, that racism doesn't exist? And he's like, oh, it still does. Maybe not the same as it did 50 years ago. And then that, you know, he, he was giving him examples. Denzel was saying, look, we're in this really nice hotel in New York. We couldn't do this interview 50 years ago. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, one guy, Sidney Poitier, like he could have done, probably done this interview, you know, with, with the, a big, you know, big interview with a, with a big firm or big uh, media company have, you know, to have this kind of access. He's like, but that's not where we're at now. You know, that's not what's going on anymore. Like, yeah, like there's certain things that we need to work on society as a group. And it's, inter- it's interesting, right? Like you brought up Thomas Sowell. Like his whole thing is like, look, racism this, but it's actually on life support. And the people that are keeping it alive are race hustlers, are people that are divisive. They want people to not get along. Like it's evident in how they approach, you know, race relations. It's, it's evident in how, you know, they, they, it's all divide and conquer, essentially. Right. It's the oldest trick in the book. I mean, because there's reason, you know, I mean, there's reasons behind look at the writings and the findings of somebody like Thomas Sowell. Like, he's going to tell you, yeah, like, in some aspects, yes, Black people were set up to fail. Look at government policies, you know, certain laws were put into place, certain benefits were, were given the caveat of, well, if you're a single mom, just don't get married and there's more incentive. Or social, you know, social you know, programs, and how are we going to ignore that? And it's like, no, we don't want, we don't want actually, we don't want to be factual. Now it's just it's racism. That's why, that's why poor families are struggling. It's all because of racism, right? Because I think was it you that showed me the, I think it was in Oregon, Portland. No, no, sorry, Oakland. It was in Oakland. I don't oh, know if you saw that. Money. They were going to give uh, Corona um, relief. 
They were to give them like stimulus checks to poor people. Yeah. But they were not going to give anything to non-whites. Yep. To to whites. It's like like yeah. are are poor whites like less disenfranchised than poor blacks? Like, how do you measure that? Like, just because they're white? Like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> What if they're neighbors? What if they live in the same apartment complex? Like, and then that, and then that creates resentment and jealousy and hatred and everything else that's that goes along with those situations. And it's like, how are you helping anybody? Now you're pinning neighbors against a neighbor. You're, you're, you're bringing up strife, right? Resentment and hostility, anger, anger, and. Nobody wants to address that. Nobody cares enough to be honest and say, hey, wait a minute, like, that, that's actually not cool what we're doing. And then what happens? You put a seed of hate within that person's heart, and then that in itself can potentially create racism because it's like, hey, that black person's getting money, I'm not. So now I must, not I must, but I. I'm growing resentment and racism. I have race um, hostilities towards them because they're getting money for being black and poor versus me, who's white and poor, and I'm not getting any money. So how how are you healing the the hearts of tension, strife? Yeah, it's like it's just so sad to see that we're being led down this path, and 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 yet uh, you know. I feel like I'm quite pessimistic <laughs> of a person, um, but I I do see glimpses of hope throughout, you know, different conversations. Like Peterson just had a con- uh, uh, interview with a teacher. I don't know if you saw it, um, and he was on with I forget who now. He was on with somebody prior to Peterson. I believe it was um, Dave Rubin, and this guy's a teacher in some high school, right? His name is, uh, let me see if I find it right here, Paul Rossi. Rossi. Uh, and he started to speak up and say, look, a criti- this critical race theory is, is, is har- harmful to our students and it's creating hate towards like our white students. And, you know, it's, and he was able to get a, another teacher or somebody from the school to say, to, to say this on his own, you know, and record it. And apparently the, that guy was not saying so like kind of out in the open, more like amongst them two. Right. So he was able to share that recording and basically say, look, like, this is what you're saying to me. And yet you go around, you know, kind of ignoring that or denying that you agree with me, you know? So you have that example. I saw another example with, um, like Glenn, Black, Glenn Beck and they're fighting against this critical race theory within the school systems, you know, so there's definitely a lot that's happening, a lot of efforts that are being made to, to make sure that we don't, we don't continue going down this path. If not, I mean, there's a lot of forces out there that are happy to see us destroy ourselves, you know, it's like, it's, it, it, it reminds me of just how like of a of a of a problem we're dealing with as it relates to like opening up the economy, right? It's funny because I was telling my coworker that 
where I work, like we are a microcosm of what's happening out in the broader state, in the, in the broader country, as it relates to you told everyone to stay home, to wash their hands, to um, have six feet social distancing, you know, wear two masks, because if you don't do these things, you're going to kill grandma, right? For over a year, time and time and time again. And now you expect people to go back to work without even dealing with the fear and anxiety of, of what it looks like to be around other people. All you did was instill and and instill, instill and and breed fear. Right. So now you have fear, and you're not addressing the fear that's within that person, or many people. And 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 I, I made the joke, and I said, "Well, that's why uh, Governor Newsom is being recalled <laughs> because uh, it's the same situation." You know, it's like, for, uh, yeah, right. Well. I would say he's being recalled. He's being recalled for various reasons, and his response to the pandemic helped. Right, I think that was a good. I think the pandemic, the pandemic, really highlighted his his inadequacy. Pandemic exposed a lot of people in power. It did, yeah, many many people in power. Yes, it just it it unmasked media and government and just the way things are and it's it's exposed a lot how funny right exposure to this virus has exposed people's true intentions well right and then what do you call it i was going to ask you on on the show who's your favorite tv on-air tv doctor is it dr phil dr oz or dr fauci Ooh, I would have to say Dr. Doolittle. Okay. Because I was just I was talking to him. But I was just saying how, like, yeah, like we, we scrutinize people like Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil because oftentimes, like, there's a lot to criticize, right? Like, hey, they actually haven't been practicing their, their, their expertise or field mm-hmm. for a while now, it's like the mid nineties or whatever. And their, their licenses have not been renewed and they do give off some misinformation sometimes, right? Like their shows play that product TV production value. And so things are blown out of proportion as with, as, excuse me, as is with all television, Yep, all forms of media, it, it's all jazzed up, so to speak. All show, and so, and so that's why, like you know, in, in in making fun of Fauci or putting him in the same light, it's like Fauci has been a bureaucrat since Ronald Reagan, like that's going on 35, 40 years, and nobody cares to like actually look into it and question, like, wait a minute, and who's this guy working with? Oh. Bill Gates, Big Pharma. All right, you know maybe maybe there's more to it than what meets the eye. But I digress because I know that that'll take us down a different rabbit hole. No, I mean it's all like interconnected and and just how like like going back to what you're saying about the church and how the church 
should be looked at as the primary um, benefactor or like our, our, the community's benefactor or I don't know, to fill in the gap as it relates to like whatever needs that we have as it relates to like our souls, but also in terms of like our everyday needs of like food and shelter and things like that, right? And just how how we've lost that sight or how we've gone astray from that, you know? And, and as it relates to everything we're talking about, like, you know, our experts and our officials are, are wrong and they've lied to us and they've manipulated us. And it's like, you know, we, we, we were supposed to look to them for the truth and, and for the, for the data and the evidence to, to make better, you know, make informed decisions. But it's like, that's wrong. Not just wrong, but they told the jester, Joe Rogan, they told him to shut up. They did. And detailing 21 year olds not to get vaccinated, which Mm -hmm. is exactly what he said, but they're like, you're not a doctor. Yep. Dr. Fauci is our doctor. As though Fauci can, can give everybody referrals and give everybody like a, uh, an exam. Right. And like a, an overall like review of, Oh yeah. You know what? You're, you're a prime candidate for the vaccine. Now you should go and get one as though it's a one size fits all approach to something as crucial as your own health, your own well-being, your own medications. Your like, there's a lot to consider here, people. There's so much um, in the, in the uh, endosyncrasies. Why do I say these words? I don't even know. I don't know. It's funny though, because I do the same thing, and and sometimes like it's in your head, right? But you're just trying to like formulate it out. So there's a lot of that, right? (laughs) That thing. Idiosyncrasies. Idiosyncrasies. Yes. Fact check. Um, You can fact check me on that. Spell check me. I, I should say. Just have and, a podcast where we were able to say all these big words. You know, we're just we're just so smart. <laughs> we we're just groundbreaking over here. Um, but yeah. just just you know, it's it's it all goes back to what? Oh, I heard this recently. Actually, I think Dave Rubin or somebody referred to um, who is that old Jewish comedian guy who spoke about like culture and society that narrows it down dan carlin nope dan carlin wasn't jewish he wasn't jewish dan carlin what's the other guy carlin carlin something the comedian dan carlin the comedian carlin you mean george carlin george carlin thank you oh, he, he was jewish he was jewish no he wasn't yeah okay well i'm gonna have to like George. No, he wasn't Jewish. Carlin. I'm going to look it up now. No, I'm going to look it up. You did this to us. I actually have a website where I confirm if people are Jewish or not. Oh, really? You go to Jewish.com? It's not called Jewish.com, sir. Oh. It is called Jew or not Jew.com. Got it. Is this true <laughs> or you just made it up? I am not making this up. You want me to share? No, no, it's okay. Jew or not Jew.com. <laughs> George Carlin is not popping up. And this might be because he hasn't been profiled yet or... He's not doing that. Okay, well, I was wrong. 
Well, I'm, I mean, Jew or not Jew isn't like it's one of it's one of the authorities, right? Of of uh, who's Jewish and who's not. But no, dude, there's no way this guy was Jewish. Yeah, I don't think he was actually. I was wrong. My bad. Um, well, irregardless, um, you know that word, irregardless. Regardless. I know, but the right way of saying it is irregardless. Oh, is it? Yeah, because another comedian would say that. I think I know who you're talking about. It sounds very familiar. Yeah. So, irregardless, um, he they referred to his comment about how he loves um, individuals but hates people. See, well, there's a lot to draw out from that because not everybody is in tune with their individuality. Hmm. It's kind of like the whole idea, the whole notion of, uh, of uh, NPC, right? Non-player character? Yeah. Which, what's his name, loves to talk about? Malice talks Malice. to, or he informed Joe Rogan on what an NPC was. Yes. In terms of the, or, or the parlance of our time, as, as the Big Lebowski would put it. The dude. The dude. Yeah, non-player characters. You know, it's it's um, it's interesting because um, as it relates like our our um, our identity, right? It's but you said a different word. Individuality. Our individuality, as it relates to like our, our identity, right? I was thinking about this when I was listening to. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of like Maddie Madison. I think his name is. He's like this like famous cook chef guy from Canada, and he's been on Vice and very loud, and he's got tatted everywhere and all that kind of stuff. So he um, wait, on, doesn't he have a nickname or something? Uh, yeah, no, no, he goes by something else, doesn't he? Possibly. I think I know who you're talking about. It's not going to bug me if I don't look into it. Uh, look into it. He has a... Or is that the name of the show? He, he's got... Are you looking it up? Yeah, yeah, but name, doesn't he have a show... I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure he does. Anyway, yeah. sorry. I, yeah, sorry. I, I know who you're talking about. I just just bugged because I'm like, I don't know him as Matty Matheson. I know him as that guy on that show. Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. I can't remember the reference. Anyways, continue. Sorry, I, I totally. Um, so yeah, it, so he was talking about how early on he his identity was was um was tied up to like his his partying like the the drinking and the drugs and it, you know it, it was like that's who his identity that's who he was like in his identity right the party guy and after he dealt with like a heart attack at the age of 29 and then his friends like came to him after that because he started to get into um some bad areas and was continuing the partying and so they had to come to him and say look at dude like you gotta you gotta change right and he, he made this very interesting point about how like he was 
dealing with like identity crisis because it's like now you've taken away who he was in a sense but that was connected to the lies he would tell his friends and his wife about like where he was and who he think he was hanging out with right and it was interesting that he associated the lies and that that old identity of who he was but wasn't his true identity so it was like the lies was connected to his pseudo identity you could say right and once he stopped lying he was then able to figure out who he truly was in his true identity and it was just like this epiphany of like the lies is what builds our pseudo identity our 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 fake identity or or a, a mirage of, of who we put out to the world versus when we when we live out in truth right and we we tell the truth or we stop lying then that's what builds our our true self our true identity and we're able to live that out um and, and it's more beneficial to ourselves right and to our friends and our family you know this is really interesting how he was he laid it out in his own way yeah because you hit on something the whole idea of false identity there you go yeah we have you can blame the boomers, right? For bo- the boomers are the selfish generation who had even more selfish children with us that are, you know, the Gen X, the millennials, what have you, right? Where it's like our idea of individuality got distorted, mm-hmm. where that became at the forefront of our approach to life, right? And so now it's gone to the point where it's like, like you're saying we're assuming false identities we are our self-interest is beyond out of control like it's making more and more sense why we're seeing these results of like divorce rates fidelity of, like there's so many like there's so many things that are impacted when you're saying the shift from family to to individualism and, it, and it's that's distorted, right? And that's where our meaning, purpose comes into put into fruition. And and it's only about myself, and it's not including my family, my community, the the collective in the sense, right? That, that a lot of uh, people on the left kind of rely on. Then yeah, that's going to totally influence the direction of society. That's totally going to distort something like marriage. Why do people get married? It's because I don't want to be alone. You know, it's because, well, I just want to have kids. Like, we see that, how that shakes out, right? We see how that plays out in some, some aspects. And it's like, that's the only point of emphasis, so to speak. And it's like there's no other there's no other examination there's no other application of like well what does scripture say now why is it good for for a man to it's funny like my wife and i were talking about that today as far as like how god created eve for adam not the other way around mm. like in a sense like 
marriage is more stabilizing for men. Like it obviously protects women in a sense, right? It, it, it makes, it empowers them in one sense and it establishes consistency, reliability, it establishes so many different things that not just for women, obviously men get the same um, benefits. But as far as like, if we look at the, maybe the psychological, the emotional aspect, this is something that I was telling my wife today, I was observing how, I mean, I know there's, there's probably studies that can back this up, but I would imagine that widowers are more likely to remarry versus widows. Again, there's probably, I'm sure there's data to back that up, but from what I can see, doing life is a lot how Women are much better prepared emotionally, I think, psychologically, to, to live a life of singlehood versus men. Men are, how do you call it? They're the more refined of the being in that sense because men are the, this is something that I learned from my aunt. According to her, right? a doctor but this is according to her that men were the prototype right they were like the concept car if you will and then oh. women were the more they were the the, the woman or the man 2.0 the, the better version of of the the what's the word i'm looking for gosh it, it happens in tech a lot or in in software updates no but advancement when something is being tested or something's in in not in final stage of development mm. oh shoot uh, uh you know the thing <laughs> the thing i i, I don't want to say beta it's not beta it's um was it beta you can say beta why am I blank? Come on, smart man. I'm not smart. It's when you know what I'm talking about, though, right? Like when something is still in production or still uh, being developed. It's a pro. Yeah, it's a prototype. It's a beta. So, so anyway, so yeah, so women are the final cop, final draft of humans. Huh. In that sense. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. Because I mean, they look at it physically, right? They live longer. They're more mature. They're more mature emotionally, physically speaking, they mature f- faster than men. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, yeah, they're they're more refined than, than men. Which are. which also goes into the fact that like women civilize men. They can for a lot of young men that are wild and out of control, and they don't want to. That's that's what they call it. I'm I'm being typed down, or we're being domesticated. Because they don't say that about women, do they? Do, do they? No. Like, oh, she's now tied down, or oh, now she's. Uh, I don't think they use that for women. Because we have more of a connection, I guess you could say, to our um, animalistic side, our our the hunter gatherer aspect. Yeah, we're more brute and wild and 
you know, the caveman were knuckle dragglers were unsophisticated and so, messy. Yeah. And, There's a lot more beauty involved with women, right? Right. Look at it physiologically, psychologically. Yeah, you wouldn't call a man beautiful. Some people might, but yeah, not, I guess you can say. not traditionally, I guess. But there's a, that association with women and beauty, yeah. That makes, that makes sense. The elegance of a woman, the 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 glow that they have, and just sophistication. It almost seems they, you know, they bear they bear life, right? They they can produce life. We can't. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. How that is not like all these things we're bringing up, those are no longer positive talking points for women in, in a lot of circles. Like that's like, oh, well, you're being sexist, you're being misogynistic. Like you're only defining women as these things. It's like, no, that's not necessarily true. It's just that on the surface, right? Like this is a function of why men and women are, are different. Not that one's better than the other, I mean, you can apply that in the sense of like when it comes to physical output, labor, strength, what have you, men are always going to be stronger, faster. Instead, they're just more brute that way. Yeah. But but again, these are ideas that are being challenged, right? Gender norms, the Blanks. Sorry. Gender identity, gender. Yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah. It's it's no. all it's all being com- uh, convoluted, mixed, and confused, so that we no longer can operate within within our norms because and who, they're oppressive. Who, I guess. Who was it? Maybe you remember. Maybe it was Patrice O'Neill. No. Who was it that was saying, like, look, we can still support women and their roles and their strengths and their their ambition within feminism without bringing men down in order to achieve that? I know that that's a that's a voice that stated a few times. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember who I remember originally saying that. But anyways, right? Like that's an aspect of like. Yeah, women should feel empowered. Women should feel like enabled to do these things. To, I mean, wasn't it wasn't it Peterson that was on with Kathy Newman? Mm-hmm. Like kind of telling or explaining to her, like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. That women are not that our women women are underrepresented, underrepresented in certain fields. He's like, the majority of those in the medical field are women and it's not just nurses because that's an easy cop out he's like no actually there are more women who are nowadays who are leaving medical school as doctors and, and men are yeah but we don't but now that's now now it's a female dominated you know study of or field it's like anything that Right, anything that deals with with people, you're gonna find a higher percentage of women. There's because there's more women around, and there's more women, yeah. So 
you know, women privilege. It's so real. <laughs> Did you, I don't know if you saw, oh, that was another one. Peterson um, inter was interviewed by, um, uh, what's his name? Gosh. Blanking on his name. He's a big dude. White guy. Jocko Willick? No, no, like that. Uh, this guy interviewed Peterson or the other way around? Yeah, he interviewed. He's a comedian. Uh, he's gay, white. Oh, Tim Dillon. Tim Dillon, yeah, yeah. And he made this joke that about uh, mass shooters and how he's like, it's just so sad to me that this is just another area where women are left out. <laughs> what did Peterson say to that? He, said, he laughed and he's like, that's such a terrible joke. <laughs> uh, that's yeah it's a male dominated thing you know Tim Dillon does not care he doesn't and, and, and then he closes that with like have you ever read um, oh gosh I can't remember her name now uh, Chelsea Handler he's like he's like no I can't say I have he's like I'll send you some stuff <laughs> oh my gosh but yeah, let's um, let's bring this to a landing, sir. A safe landing, hopefully. Yeah, let's hope we put some, you know, lights and our landing gear is ready to go. Okay. What are your final thoughts? Final thoughts. Uh, we all have to examine what we're hearing, what we're seeing, and be able to look at it logically, reasonably, with the attempt of truth, right? As Christians, you have to pursue it with truth and love. Um, I recently saw a video by Abba and Preach, mm. and it had to do, I don't know if you saw that there was a hotel clerk Oh yeah, had a mental breakdown. Yep. Suffers from bipolar. I think he's autistic as well, like on the autism spectrum. I think. Yeah. So anyway, so they were just being very sympathetic with him, and then Preach was touching a little bit about how he worked in the hotel industry, and just how they're like, this is not. It's not always how it appears from the, on the service level, because I believe the original poster or the person that was recording him was a YouTube personality. I don't oh, remember nice. exactly. He was trying to have his moment, right? Exposing the worker for um, essentially race baiting him. And Abba and Preach weren't having it. They were just like, no, like, you know what? You know, mental health issues are on the rise with the pandemic. Like people that were already on the breaking, you know, at the breaking point, like they're suffering a lot from this. And we need to just treat people like other human beings and recognize like, like these masks are obviously not helping, but they're just saying like, if you're, for, if you're seeing somebody have a mental breakdown or, or suffering, what have you, and your first instinct is to take out your phone to record them, to expose them as though they, you know, they were in the wrong and they wronged you and, violated your rights or your you know privileges or whatever but like we just need to 
we need to act like human beings again, and treat mm-hmm. with dignity, with respect, with consider- some consideration. And you know, and preach was just saying that, like, yeah, like the, the hotel industry is not kind. Their frontline workers, you know, somebody like hotel work would be uh, considered a frontline worker. It's like a lot of times they're undermanned. Their their resources are not adequate. Their software that they're being forced to use, equipment is not adequate. It breaks down, or you know, and, and ma- management, upper management doesn't care. They're not there to assist you. They're not there to make your life or your job any easier. And they're they're just expecting you to get it done. And he was the example he used was, was like one time he was he was. Uh, dealing with a customer who was requesting coffee. Like I literally had to tell the customer because we didn't have enough coffee cups. I had to tell the customer, you're gonna have to wait 45 minutes for that coffee. Like as ridiculous as that sounds, like that's some of the, like as an example, that's one of the situations that we're put in. So they're put in a hard, you know, between a hard place, a rock and a hard place. And they were just saying like, yeah, like this is not every, just because you see a video on YouTube on social media like it might not be everything that it appears to be there, there's more to the story and again just, just saying like yeah we need to be human and and not just tap into these ideas like already have a a, a biased opinion a biased approach towards what we're hearing what we're seeing and they're saying you know, essentially let's establish some kind of truth Sympathy, how we treat each other, how, how mm-hmm. you know, just how we're lacking that. Like you would think, right? The pandemic would make everybody nicer, make everybody a little more considerate, but that's not always the case. Yeah, it's that was such a heartbreaking story, and it's just—it's hard to imagine what this person thought that made it okay for him to do that, you know, and just really heartbreaking to see someone deal with that sort of like trauma, you know, and it's like, come on, how, how can you go to bed that night thinking that that was okay, you know, and yeah, I think, like you're saying, I think if we can at all you know, at all in in our lives do some sort of good, then I think we can we can deal with the, the 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 tragedy of life and we can deal with the trauma and the pain and the suffering in a way that's um honorable and in a way that's that shows the, the human spirit the strength of the human spirit, I think, you know, as, as we're, we are moving forward, I think we, we should do everything possible to just make sure we're being, yeah, considerate and speaking truth and love. And if at all possible, having a conversation and doing so in good, in, in good faith and being open to ideas and, if, if people are willing to just have a conversation, then I think we can get somewhere. But if not, then 
we're going to continue going down this track. Oh, yeah. Hearing you say that, I, I thought of Yoda from Star Wars saying, you must unlearn what you've learned. Mm -hmm. And you got to go back to basics. You, you mentioned honor. And it's like, we have a very shallow understanding or application of something like honor. Now it's like, you, you looked at me the wrong way. You disrespected my mama. You disrespected my name. Or, you know, and that's some of it. But and the issue or the idea of honor or integrity, right? Like these are aspects that we don't really pay any mind. We don't pay any attention because again, going back to like what's what's our building block? What's our core? What's our core beliefs? And if it's always like me, my you know my identity, my well-being, my well, if that's all that's being, being taken into consideration. My my respect, right? Like my, my <laughs> now I thought of that Kevin Hart scene. Where he was like, well, you, well, now you're using too many big words. And I take that as a sign of disrespect. <laughs> and I take that personally. <laughs> so, no, yeah, like, it's just, we need to learn to share again. Remember how, like that's that's something that's instilled in a lot of kids, right? Like you need to share. Mm -hmm. You don't have to agree, but you have to cooperate at some point. And like I mean, we're seeing that with all the masks mandate stuff and the vaccines, and you know, it's like not taking people's own health into consideration and what they might be going through. You know, maybe they have, you know, some issues with the treatment. This doesn't work for them right now. Uh -huh. It might be more dangerous for them to go about it that way. Yeah, that's, that's something that we need to take the time to reconsider. Reconsider all things. Like, not just consider all things, but reconsider all things that we subscribe to. And I've been, yeah, lately I've been kind of on that train too. Like, which ideas am I married to? And why? Mm -hmm. Why am I married to them? And should I only have like a core top 10 list of ideas that I'm married to that I subscribe to wholeheartedly? I can be flexible with everything else. Yeah, figuring out what hills you're willing to die on. Exactly. And that's something that I just real quick, that's something that I've learned, right? As far as marriage is concerned, like you have to choose your battles. It's not worth it to fight every single battle. You know, there's just some things that my wife cares about wholeheartedly that I would not give a second thought about. Whereas there's other areas where I'm like, ah, wait a minute. <laughs> what did you say? What are you thinking? Yeah. And, you know, you have to, you have, to have a conversation. But... It's a delicate dynamic, but it's, it's worth every struggle, I think. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. It's rewarding. <laughs> yet, man, yet it is very rewarding. That's so true. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Well, we will be back next week. And we'll see where we go next. Good night and good morning, everybody. Good night, good afternoon, and good morning. See you all next time. Bye.